And you're listening to another episode of The Wellness Couch, where science meets ancient wisdom. 3ABR 87.6 FM, and I'm your host, Katerina Morrison. We are so lucky tonight to have a world-renowned uh, virologist and immunologist talking about SARS-CoV. Um, seems to be the topic at the moment, so... Um, what better person to have on our radio station than um, a world-renowned? She's, she's becoming quite a celebrity, actually. She's uh, currently the Pro Vice-Chancellor of Research Partnership at Victoria Uni. She received her PhD majoring in immunology in 1995 from the Uni of Melbourne. Um, she has an advanced certificate in protein Christiology from Burbick uh, College, University of London. Now, that's not all. Her ex expertise ranges to the multidisciplinary in extensive expertise in immunology, x-ray, medicinal chemistry, cellular biology, molecular biology. She has extensive translational research expertise with development uh, of uh, development of drugs and vaccines. Now, she's also a chief scientific officer for 4G vaccines, is on the board, consults for a number of pharmaceutical companies worldwide, and is the director of VA Consulting Services. She's the head of immunology and vaccine unit at the Austin Research Institute um, and program leader in the Centre for Chronic Diseases at Victoria University. In fact, she she is really recognised as a celebrity in her field at the moment. So, uh Give her a hand as we uh, talk to Vaso. Outstanding results for all your research. So, without a doubt, lately you are getting to be quite a celebrity with the world of immunology and virology, aren't you? Outstanding results for all your research. So. Without a doubt, lately you are getting to be quite a celebrity with the world of immunology and virology, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, this coronavirus has come upon us um, quite fast and we're really working hard on it to try and overcome and try and develop some sort of drugs for treatment and prevent people from getting coronavirus. So it's keeping us busy um, and I've been... Uh, I, I wouldn't call it a celebrity, but um, I've been a hard-working researcher. Yeah, oh, look, you've been instrumental. I mean, you've got the Premier's Award for Medical Research, Young Australian of the Year, Greek Australian of the Year. I could go on um, and on like I did at the start, but um, you were the first in the world to develop a concept of immunotherapy for cancer in the 90s, and now hundreds of those people have been revisited and they haven't, um, they haven't got any cancer from those therapies from being injected with your your therapies yeah so it's uh, so it's a vaccine that uh, you know that I had developed early 1990s and yeah, we tested it in humans um, you know we did a lot of different type of studies in them to try and understand how this vaccine is working but what's important about what is important about this is it's the way the vaccine was made it's um, you know, there's different ways of developing vaccines. Okay, all vaccines will have the commonality of uh, that it needs to have a region of the virus, whether yep. it's a, as a protein, as a synthetic peptide. Like you, you just have to produce part of the virus in the lab so you can make it synthetically. Um, but so that's what's common in all the vaccines that are developed. But um, it, what's different? That's a commonality. Then you have the, uh, researchers are trying to find a way of introducing this 
virus or uh, the part of the virus that you want to develop immunity to, you have to introduce it to the body in a manner that the body will recognize it as something that's foreign, something that uh, it shouldn't be there and to try and develop an immune response against it. So it's the delivery method and how you deliver um, or how do you get the body to get stimulated. So that's a concept that um, was developed in the 90, early 1990s by you know myself and there was a few of my colleagues, uh, researchers that we all worked on this together and that has shown to be quite effective in, in breast in cancer. Yeah, what, um, what seemed um, amazing is that you actually stimulated the immune system to do um, a bit, its better work. So it was, yes, it was a lot we more, able, yeah. yeah. So for the, in the cancer sense, we were able to stimulate the immune system and that, that immune um, enhancement, stimulation that we had, it's long-term memory, so it's there for in the long term. And, you know, people are, uh, 20 years later are still you know, protected against mm. cancer, the women that had been injected, because we've, we've stimulated that immune response. So it's exactly the same method that, you know, of, it's, we've shown that it's successful in cancer, um, in other models of disease, where we have also shown it to be successful. So now we're applying, I mean, a modified version of that method, but more or less similar um, to coronavirus as well. So we're trying to introduce or get the body to because you're, you're injecting something artificial into a body so the body has to recognize it enough like it like it's the real virus um, to develop an immune response so the aim is to develop a long-term immune response um, similar to how we did it with cancer we're now trying to do it for coronavirus so what's a normal day like for you oh see look last night <laughs> Someone sent me a message. It was actually a journalist. Uh, she sent me a message on Messenger. It was at 1.30. Well, it was this morning, at 1.30. <laughs> it was at 1.30. No, I'm wide awake at 1.30 in the morning. I'm not asleep. And I Yeah, what diseases can I possibly cure? Yeah. <laughs> so I replied back within five minutes. And she replied and said, oh, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up with my message. I, did, oh, I just wanted you to see it when you wake up in the morning. And I'm like, well, 1.30 is still early for me. I mean, I'm not going to bed at 1.30. So I go to bed at about 3 in the morning and I wake up about 7 um, wow. in the morning. Jeez. Um, 7. I mean, sometimes, like on, on, on a Sunday, I, I will sleep in till about, you know, 10 or something, but that's rare. Um, so what's my typical day like? Um, I'm on, well, at the moment, I'm just looking at a computer and looking and interacting with people through Zoom. Um, you know, not, don't see much of the outside world. I mean, occasionally you go out to the supermarket, if that. Um, uh, go into the lab, but not um, like everybody else, I, I guess. Um, they're all stuck inside, but I'm stuck inside looking at a computer all day and, and, and developing and planning and, and getting my research team working on this uh, vaccine and drugs that will work against coronavirus. All right, so, so what's, the, what's the latest research showing for you? What's the latest research showing for you? Look, coronavirus is a difficult one to, to beat. Um, now, uh, look, around the world there's about 115 labs that are working on a vaccine. I mean, there's a lot of people working on a vaccine. and 
you know, I get asked the question, well, if everybody else is working on a vaccine and there's already two or three that have are being tested in humans, well, what are you doing? Are you just doing the same thing? The thing is, if there's, there's about 115 people working on a vaccine, if all those 115 get into human clinical trials, uh, probably only one of them will work in a human trial. Um, you know, they probably would all stimulate some sort of immunity, um, but you know, we need to make sure that we, it's long-term immunity and it can protect um, against the virus. So, you know, just because something goes into a human trial doesn't mean that it will work. I mean, all the preclinical testing show would have shown that it works, but once you get into human, it's completely different. So, you know, everyone's using a different method. Again, as I said, a different method of d delivering the vaccine or make, you know, making it in a way that the body can recognise it and you know which one of all these methods will give a more a stronger immune response in long term so when you think about long term i mean yeah. obviously it takes a while to develop a vaccine um we're hearing you know like whispers that it could be um that it'll, it'll take within the year to develop a vaccine is that normal okay it, it if someone is to start from scratch um it'll take about 10, 15 years to develop yeah. something. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what is happening at the moment is um, a lot of the preclinical testing is fast tracked. Um, a lot of well, why does it take 10 to 15 years? It takes 10 to 15 years because the funding the researchers get, that's how long it will take for them to develop it. Um, at the moment, there's a lot of money being put into um, this sort of research and researchers are able to fast track their, their work. Uh, yeah, they've got bigger teams, getting more people working onto it and if there's more hands, it, everything's done quicker. Um, another thing is we're using existing methods uh, to develop the vaccine. So methods that have already been used in humans to stimulate an immune response, researchers are using those methods to develop a vaccine for coronavirus. So basically, you know, developing a method takes 10 years, 15 years, something that, yeah. mm. that show effectiveness. Therefore, researchers are using those methods that we know are already likely to work in humans. Um, and that's what people are doing. So we're cutting back on a lot of the uh, that research, which had already been done for other diseases, but they're being applied for coronavirus. So me too, I'm me similar. I've developed a vaccine for cancer. We've got some vaccine candidates there for multiple sclerosis, type one diabetes. Um, so, and I know that formulation or the what we used in the vaccine to stimulate the immune response, we're using the exact a similar formulation for the coronavirus. So. You know, 25 years I've had developing these vaccines. I'm now cutting back all that 25 years and applying it straight away for coronavirus. So we're saving on a lot of time. Um, so then, you know, all the preclinical tests that happen, um, we do all them to show efficacy in other models, out, you know, not in humans. And then we, uh, you know, with funding, we could fast track all this into human testing. So, you know, things take. A long time but we can in, in this regard uh, because there's an urgent need and because we already have methods of developing vaccines we're de applying them 
And within, you know, we're saying within 18 months to two years, there'll be a vaccine available. That's at best, if everything works, you know. If, if, every, if it doesn't work, if the vaccine doesn't work in humans, well... <clears throat> what sort of efficacy do you have to um, view in your trials in order for it to be safe? Okay, well, so when you do a clinical trial, there are different phases of clinical mm. trials. So the first phase, because what you're injecting in humans is first time in humans. It has never been injected in humans before. So you will do a study called phase one, which means you only look at toxicity, side effects, making sure it's safe. So it's just a safety trial. So all the trials that are happening at the moment, they're safety trials at the moment too, because it's first time in humans. And you don't want to, you want to ensure yeah. there are no adverse reactions or you know, people are not responding, you know. Um, over-responding or under-responding. You know, we just want to make sure that it's safe in people. I mean, that that's, is so complex. that's very complex because everyone's made up genetically different, aren't yeah. they? Different blood types, yeah. uh, miasms, <laughs> you know, mutations, genetic um, mutations. So, that's so, yeah. so, so when you do these phase one trials, it's usually only in about, you know, 10, 15 to 20 people that participate in this first study which is looking at um, safety um, and as you said there's only that's only a small cohort of people mm. so you know in this in that 15 to 20 cohort of people uh, we were if you yeah, let's say it works we showed that it was non it was safe and non there were no side effects induced then you do a second study yeah. which is a long, uh, it, there's more participants in that, but then you look at immune responses. Do they generate an immune response? Repeaters, it, yeah. yeah. And then can that immune response, uh, you know, we, we get their blood and then we check in the, in the lab, does this blood or the antibodies that are generated, can it recognise the virus? So you could, you inject the humans, you could take the blood, check it in the lab if they've developed the appropriate immune response. So that's uh, immunity um, response. That's another phase, that clinical phase that we have to go through. That's phase two. Then you get into the phase three, and that's where most of the vaccines or anything, drugs, vaccine, anything that's made in the world uh, against any disease, the same applies for coronavirus. Then you get into a phase three study where it's multi-center study because usually it's only in one center, one hospital, one place where phase one and phase two are done. But when you get to a phase three, it's multi-center multi uh, you know lots of different countries are involved in the same vaccine and it's injecting the a lot more, many more people like you know 500 a thousand people yeah. so you're going out to the more people and at that point is when most of the vaccines if they're going to fail will fail or if they're going to prove that they work they work you could see it in the phase three trial because so how long is the study normally done for to to look at the efficacy and the safety of the vaccine how long is it normally okay. done for okay so so let me just so then we let me just before i go on to that um how long it, each phase how long it takes um so with the phase three it's the biggest cohort of study and then that's where you look at whether it works or not so that's a big study now each phase takes a long time to do um typically a phase one study would take about a year if you're able to recruit the participants because, you know, in a lot of these studies, yeah. it's hard to mm. recruit participants and who would volunteer to get injected with something that's first time in humans. 
and we don't know whether it's going to be any mm. any effect. So the phase one study typically takes about a year, but it all depends on how quick you can recruit these 15 to 20 participants. So it could take quick, therefore, you know, you'll have the results within six months, or if it takes longer, it takes about a year, a year and a half, or however long it takes to recruit the participants. So, you know, at best, um, you know, if you can recruit the participants quickly, um, you, they get injected, they get monitored, uh, all the safety uh, studies are done, you know, within six months to a year, um, that will com be completed. Then you go, that's about six months to a year. That This is best scenarios. Um, then to, then yeah, we have to go into the phase two, which is looking at whether the immune response is, uh, the body's able to develop an immune response. Um, that can take easy one year. It takes about a year. If you, again, if you're able to get participants, um, in that one usually there's about 50 participants. Um, it all depends on how quickly we could get participants. Um, so that could take about a year at best. And then you're going into the phase three study, uh, which is multi-center, looking at uh, you know large population cohorts and protection and efficacy and all that. So that takes another two years, year, a year to two years. Yeah. So you can't really fast track, can you? You can't fast so track it within a year. So fast track, you can't take corners. You, you know, people thinking, oh, we're fast tracking, we're cutting corners. We cannot cut corners. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to go by the regulation rules and regulations. So at best, um, fast tracking, we're saying we're fast tracking as in we're recruiting uh, participants because there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of participants that mm -hmm. will volunteer uh, yep. to get them um, injected. Um, so let's say at best, um, phase one, phase two, phase three, I mean, now we're saying two years, researchers are saying, oh, you know, there will be something available. Everyone keeps talking about 18 months or two years, something will be available, but mm. really, um, it will be a lot, it will be longer than that. But, you know, at best, probably two years, but because these studies take a long time to do, um, you know, it could take anywhere between two and five years for before, and that's if everything works. You know, if everything goes smoothly and works and there's, and you know, because a lot of these vaccine candidates will probably not make it, they'll probably, they'll probably pass phase one, phase two, but not pass phase three. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, if there's 115 people working on this and we have 115 dif different versions of the vaccine, um, we hope one of them will, will be able to um, induce the appropriate response and be safe. Um, patients. All right, let's talk about the virus. And from last time we talked, I mean, you're very well versed, you're a virologist, so very well versed um, on immunology. What are we seeing that's different now with this um, mutation of the virus? What's so different about SARS-CoV-19 now that we didn't know previously on our last talk? Um, yeah. Some of the symptoms I'm saying, like conjunctivitis is a symptom and it's, it's quite an inflammatory mediator. So it's causing blood clots now within the lung. What, what, what other symptoms are you seeing? Yeah, so what's happening is there's still yeah, there's a lot of new stuff or research or, or evidence in patients that it's coming out now which we didn't know. Um, you know so yes, people are there are conjunctivitis symptoms where you can get through the eyes. I mean, if it gets 
through the nose and mouth um, why doesn't it why wouldn't it get through the eyes and there are quite a lot of people that do have symptoms eye symptoms but not yet any other symptoms uh, because it's yeah. gone through the eyes um, and you know when that's not one of the you know when there's a screening done and they check if you do you have a cough do you have a shortness yeah. of breath etc that's not one on the list so you know all of the boxes will probably be ticked as i don't have that symptoms and therefore the conclusion is you most likely don't have coronavirus but the symptoms of the eye are not on that list so it definitely does go through the eyes um also we're learning about uh people that got that have recovered the people that have recovered from the virus yeah. Yeah. um we're now finding well evidence is coming up now that these people we don't know what happens long term mm. in the person so you know there are symptoms like uh skin sensitivity to light um you know a day like today where there's very little sun it's full of clouds outside it's you know 10 degrees um people go out and for 10 minutes and the skin will get burnt like it's a 40 degree day photosensitivity so yeah. of the skin um some other symptoms of the long term that we're finding you know there's problems with the people's gut because you know yeah. there's evidence that the virus has been going into the gut and it's causing inflammation in the gut which the inflammation hasn't gone away then it's causing all these issues um something that's called brain fog uh, that's coming up a lot where you know people just get it's not clear they're just getting confused so these are now the people that have recovered um all these symptoms are coming up so we don't know whether does a virus does a person actually get rid of the virus totally i mean we know with the influenza virus and some other viruses you know the body develops an immune response and gets rid of the virus uh whereas you know if you look at uh, chickenpox uh, people get chickenpox, they, 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 they get over it, but the virus stays in the body forever. And then years later, it flares up, yeah, yeah. Um, resurfaces as shingles. So we don't know if coronavirus will be something like that. So uh, we're still learning about what's happening. Now, in regards to the mutation, yes, there is. A, so the form that first came out in China um, was the D form. There's a different... Yeah. the form called the d form and um and that's the one that was in china and a lot of the countries is spread to a lot of the countries but now we're finding that there's a new version of the virus which is called the g form which is only one amino acid changed so out of the whole mm -hmm. virus structure which has got you know two thousand amino acids one little mutation has occurred is that so globally is that globally or just in Australia? The mutation? Yeah. Okay, so there are, there's this mutation that's occurred, which is a very minor mutation, but it makes the virus more infectious. Wow. And it's a lot more infectious than the original one that came out of China, the one that infected China and spread. But now researchers are finding that the mutated version in some countries they had the D version, and now there are cases coming up that is the G version, which is the mutated version. Um, the studies that have been published, the, so this study has just been published this week um, in the journal called Cell um, by a group of researchers in the United States, where they're showing that in Australia, uh, we currently have both of them. We currently have 
both I mean, although the G form is taking over and there are more cases of the G form, but we definitely have the original form as well. So there are two different viruses, uh, SARS-CoV-2, but one has a mutation. Um, and at the moment in Australia, we, both, we have both. So, and we're thinking, uh, it's suggested that, you know, the people that get the severe case, severe symptoms and die probably get the G form, the mutated right, form, mutated yeah. whereas the people that get the minor symptoms, maybe they've got the other form of the coronavirus. So there's, there's, you know, because we can't understand, everyone responds differently and it's likely that each people, there's a different cohort of people. Some get the original version and some get the more effective version. So it's, I think- Do we know why? Do we know why people respond differently? Um, obviously- well, this new Sorry, but this new version, this new um, mutated coronavirus, which is a very tiny mutation, but it's enough to make the virus more infectious, it's more infectious. So anyone that gets it will have you know, more severe symptoms. But are we do um, we're doing very well in Australia. I mean, we've got a mortality rate. I know I'm really sorry for the people who die, but like 0.04%. Um, so compared to other nations, like globally, we're doing quite well. Well, if you have a look at the global statistics, it's actually about 7% deaths. Um, if you look at the whole global statistics, 7% deaths. Some countries have 15% uh, death rate. Some people have a lower rate. Um, why do we have, why does different countries and, and people are responding differently? You know, I think Australia is 0.04, is that... Um, yeah, yeah, because I know the, the predicted earlier models were predicting over a million deaths, like in multiple countries, and those predictions, I think, have led a lot of people to come out with, um, you know, a ma massive amount of panic and hysteria. So it was just last week that it showed that it was actually 0.04%, and that was because they were actually um, adding COVID death um, certificates. People who they assumed had COVID, but they weren't tested for COVID into the death tolls. So it came up as 0.04%. Um, um, and a lot of studies suggest that it's the same infection rate fatality as, as seasonal flu. And that's why I think there's a lot of people who are not taking it seriously. Yeah, but globally, it's, it's, it's 7% from what I've been reading. Uh, Australia is, yes, it's a lot lower than the, yeah, the rest in of Australia. the they're, they're Australian. Um, that's so um why do people you know what in australia what we're seeing originally the all the death rates that we were getting were the people over 60 yeah or over 70 yeah. um and that were they were the ones that were most mostly infected so if you yeah. have a look at the age group of infect or positive patients or positive yeah. um you know, it, the highest peak was at the at those with over 70, then it was over 60, yeah. then it was 40 to 50, and below 30 was the lowest. So that was the, the graph that we were seeing, the ones that were more infected. So the, a lot of original deaths were from because there was more older people that were infected. If you have a look at the graph now, the majority of the people that are infected now are between 20 and 30 years old. It's the it's it's a complete yeah. uh, swap. So yeah. 20 to 30 year old has got the highest peak, and as you get older, it um, the peak decreases. And there's not many people now that are over 70 that are positive. Yeah. Um, so but recovery the, recovery rate's quite good though. Recovery rate from the 
infection is actually quite good in Australia? Well, it is, uh, but it is. Um, it, it's, it's quite good, but um, we still have to be careful um, because, you know, it's thought that, you know, the older person will die and they're the, they are the ones that are dying. Okay, we have more people now that are 20, 30 that are positive, but they're, uh, you know, we don't have any deaths of a 20 to 30 year old person. Um, you know, we've had two deaths in the last week. There were one was over 70, one was over 90. So 90, yeah. still it's the older cohort um, and also people with underlying disorders. But, you know, in the general population, a lot of people have some sort of underlying disorder. So we have to really be careful. And some people might have an underlying disorder that they don't even know about. Um, so, you know, it's that's, you know, we what we need to be careful and just take some precautionary measures. Um, so why are, we, why are we testing asymptomatic people at the moment? Just to clarify for the public. Okay, asymptomatic, I mean, if someone is asymptomatic, um, it doesn't mean they are still infectious. They can still, they carry the virus, they have the virus. It's um, So they might not have any symptoms, maybe because they've got a stronger immune response or, or stronger immune system is able to fight the virus more effectively, but they are still asymptomatic. And being asymptomatic doesn't mean you don't have virus inside you, you don't have the virus. So asymptomatic people are still spreaders. They spread the virus to anyone they get in contact with. So... Um, would this That's be a progression though for herd immunity though? If they're asymptomatic and they're coping quite well, would they be part of the group? Would would be quite good for us to have um, herd immunity? Yeah, I mean, look, the people that are getting asymptomatic or they've got minor symptoms, or even the ones that have recovered. I mean, they've built, they've generated an immune response. Even the recovered people, they've generated an immune response, so they can go out. I mean, you know, one thing is, should all the people that um, have recovered um, or asymptomatic, I mean, they should all be allowed to go out, not be locked down. Why should they be in lockdown? Um, but the problem is there's the new mutated version of the virus now. So they might have uh, had minor symptoms or overcome the original virus or one of the viral strains, but now there's a mutated version that's out there. Um, so, you know, we might be, we still don't understand whether if you've been infected with one form of the coronavirus, can you be protected against the other form of the coronavirus? Um, so, so the know, measures that the government's been taking, like 1.5 metres, stay away, um, yeah. isolation, do those measures really work if, if we're really getting more infected? Or is it just a result that we're testing more, we're testing more asymptomatic people, so therefore we're going to find more coronavirus? So it looks like um, you know, the cases are going up when, in fact, there's more testing being done in Australia. So, of course, we're going to find more of the virus. Yeah, they're finding more of the virus because more testing is being done. But we, in order to keep control of it, keep control of the virus, because you, we could reach a point if we're not taking early measures, we could reach a point because now we're learning how effective and how, how much it spreads this virus, you could, we could get to a point where we just can't control it anymore. Like we've seen the um, Brazil at the moment, uh, South Africa. I mean, yeah. We did see that with Italy, Spain, etc. But now we're seeing countries like Brazil, South Africa, the United States of America. They're at a point, 
now where they're having 20,000, 30,000 cases a day. So they're at a point where it's uncontrolled. You just cannot control that. It, so it gets out of hand. Uh, so what Australia's trying to do is trying to control it um, as much as possible so it won't get out of hand. So, yes, we are testing more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's great that we're testing more. So it's good to know even the asymptomatic ones that they are positive and it's good to stay home at least for the two-week, three-week period that, you know, um, to prevent it from spreading to other more vulnerable people. I was reading a report the other day that said that the virus, the, almost 100% that it's aerosolised as well, so it travels via air current. Yeah, yes. Um, now, um, now there's evidence about that. I remember you had asked me in the pre first interview. Um, it was only at uni that we learned about viruses um, staying in the air for about 72 hours, so... Um, lucky yeah, my clinic, I've got things in there to make sure that they're antiviral, um, yeah. you know, so they're aerolised in the air um, yep, to get rid of viruses consistently because, I mean, you're face-to-face -face with people all the time, so I make sure that the air's clean also. That's true. It does stay in the air. Um, so there is now evidence that it's, suggest that it's just suggesting that it's, it's in the air. Uh, yeah, and we have to keep the air clean. That's why um, it's recommended to wear masks. Um, so, so if it's in the air... Recommended um, to wear masks. Is that for people who are sick, who are able to project, you know, um, the virus, or is it for healthy people? Okay, look, a healthy person doesn't need to wear a mask. Um, well, hang on, let me rephrase it. A healthy person is protecting themselves uh, from catching it from someone else. So that's what it is. So, um, so you know, if a healthy person just, you know, at home, they don't need to wear a mask. No one needs to wear a mask because you don't need to wear it. But if you go out, you don't know what the other person has. And so it's protecting yourself from the other people. And the people that have the virus, they should wear a mask when they're out because they don't want to spread it or minimise the spread. So uh, when you look at different forms of masks, though, um, you've got the single loop mask that um, if you look on the pad, pa um, packet, it actually says that it doesn't do much from, for protection yep. against virus. So, yeah, so there, are, um, yeah. there are different types of masks. Uh, they're saying that the, the surgical masks and the N95 masks, they protect about 95% um, because it has different material and, and different yeah. filters or some sort of filter but so the virus can't get in or out well it, you, you protect it about 95 percent protect it or you prevent spreading it so that's they're quite effective but there are other masks that you know you people are buying from bunnings for example or making or, ma or making or making yeah they um have been shown they're only about five percent effective all right yeah um but um, you know, maybe making them, people should put a, a few layers of material okay. on them, not just have one yeah. layer and cover you in, your face. Maybe have like at least three, four layers of the material, um, which then will help um, it be more effective. So when's mask, mask wearing contraindicated? Obviously for, for children under three, but um, what other times shouldn't you wear a mask on? Or, or if you've got certain conditions? There's a problem with the mask. I mean, people, it's recommended now to wear a mask, but the thing is the mask needs to be worn correctly because, you know, 
there's there's a, uh, there's some discussion now to that they're saying to get all the kids going back to school should wear a mask. But you know, imagine telling a, a great prep, uh, you know, wear a mask all day. They're not. You know, they're going to just keep. Or, or most kids, most people, you wear a mask, and what's what the problem is they're not wearing it correctly. So they wear the mask, and every five minutes they're just touching the mask. Or yeah. pulling it down because they want to breathe and putting it back up. So that defeats the purpose of wearing a mask because, you know, you're contaminating your hands. Even wearing gloves. If you're not going to do it properly, why wear gloves? I mean, people are wearing gloves and then they're touching the face, you know, um, which is defeats the purpose because the glove could get contaminated. Um, and then you touch your face. So um, who should wear it and who shouldn't wear it? Well, people that are, go that are going, when they're home, they, they don't need to wear the mask. Um, the person that goes out to the supermarket or will have to you know, go out for a reason, um, it's recommended for them to wear a mask, um, all age groups. So it's very short term, uh, isn't it? I mean, because, I mean, if you wear a mask all day, obviously the volume of, of uh, oxygen that you get is going to be, I think it was down by 38% I was yeah. reading, um, and that can be quite detrimental to your health. Um, yes. and cause other other issues. So it really looks like it should be short-term. And like, I, I agree with you, like children at school, because it, they look like um, they're coping quite well with their immune systems with this virus, I don't think they should be wearing masks at, at school, considering that, um, you know, it's not fatal within their, their age group. Yes, it's not fatal in their age group, but the problem is they come home to parents and grandparents, which could be fatal to them. So yes, it's not fatal to the kids, school kids, um, but it's it's where they go after that, after school. That, but they're, you know. they're taking in consideration now they're having temperature tests. Um, if you're symptomatic, you've got to stay home anyway, don't you? Yes, yes. Uh, they will, if anyone that tests positive, even if they're asymptomatic, they need to stay home. So now going back to the masks and kids at school, you know, how effective will it be in kids at school? I mean, you know, I don't I don't know if they're going to be using them properly. Uh, they'll probably be touching their face and the mask, you know, every few minutes. Uh, I, I don't think that will be very effective, but that's been discussed for it, for it to happen. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to prevent kids catching it from each other, I guess. Um these are now asymptomatic kids that will send, give it to another kid. Um, so I'm not sure if, if that's the best cohort of people or, you know, for them to wear masks. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to the supermarket or you're going out, wear a mask. Um, do not touch the mask from the front. You know, just take it out from around yeah. the ears, take it off, put it on. And, and once it's taken off, just wash your hands. That's the best you could do. But it doesn't have to be worn all day, only when you're out. Yeah. interacting with some sort of people. All right. So anything else that you can tell us about um, how to look after ourselves during this strange period of time? Yep. Yeah. So, look, given there are no drugs at the moment for coronavirus, there is no vaccine at the moment, which you know, will take, take a, a while. Um, you know, coronavirus is not going to disappear. Um, it will be here forever. It will be part of, like all the other viruses that are out there. Do you think we can so, develop immunity to it, just like the flu? Because that's a family of coronaviruses, isn't it? 
the flu and yeah we, could yeah, we could develop immunity to the coronavirus, but then the coronavirus will keep on mutating, just like the influenza virus keeps on mutating. So, you know, um, we'll have to keep developing immunity to all the all the different forms of coronavirus. Um, but in the absence of a, of a drugs, in the absence of a vaccine for the moment, what's the best thing that a person could do is um, you know the nutritional the the health uh, the nutrition is very very important you know um, vitamin A B C all all the all of them uh, C D there's a lot of evidence for D, C yeah. and D but yeah. um, I mean one one suggestion is probably why are the younger kids uh, not have less or no uh, symptoms to coronavirus and the older you get the more severe the symptoms are it's one there's one link with vitamin d yeah you know the young kids yeah. have lots of vitamin d yes as the older you get you don't absorb it you don't have much vitamin d we're more indoors so that's one reason so keep up your especially vitamin c d vitamin b is also an important one um you know, and all these herbs and spices and anything you could do to boost your immune system. So if someone is going to get coronavirus, if they have a stronger immune system, they'll obviously respond. Definitely. Most uh, definitely. The virus. So I think that's very important. And, you know, obviously, you know best in this area. But, um, um, yeah. Uh, I've got a lot of studies on my page um, from professor, from some professors who have actually done a lot of studies on that. So if you visit my page, you'll see a lot of those studies on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, so for the time being, um, you know, physical activity, um, uh, yeah, and nutrition is very important to boost your immune system, be healthy as much as you can. Um, and even physical activity, it's good to go out because it's good for your mental health. I mean, you know, um, you know I, I, but I'm finding that, you know, for example, myself, but I know a lot of people that are working, I mean, I'm in meetings from... So nine o'clock till about six o'clock, nine a.m. till six p.m. Oh, so you don't get any vitamin D, do you, from the sun? Yeah, So one after the other, meeting after meeting after meeting, get log out of Zoom, log back into Zoom, log yes. out of Zoom, log back into Zoom, from meeting to meeting to meeting. And then when we finish, it's six o'clock. It's dark outside. Yeah, true. I haven't gone outside to get any yeah. light, any yeah. sun or sun sun or do any. And at six o'clock, I'm not going to go outside and walk yeah. because yeah. it's dark and yeah. it's getting cold. So you know, one thing that well, I had recently suggested was. Well, why don't we all start work at 12? Fantastic. Like and then we have the morning to go out and do walk and do get some Excellent. physical activity, get some vitamin D. Proud of you. So work, from, work from 12, instead of 9 to 6, for example, let's work from 9, uh, let's work from 12 to 8 at night, like work Fantastic. later at night. Yeah, yeah. Well, why work during the day and when the light's there, and, you know, and it work when it's dark? You know, we have to change our times of working so we can get time to go outside and take care of ourselves. I mean, that's just a suggestion. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for it to be applied, but I think something like that should be applied to everybody that's working from home. Yeah, don't start yes, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah, or skylights in your lab would be a great one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm not sure. I mean, skylights would be good, but do they actually vitamin D? Yeah. The, or, you know, the for you to absorb the vitamin D, does it actually get through the light, the glass? Yeah, look, the best the best form of vitamin D from the sun is in the morning because it um, affects the serotonin in the gut 
and that also helps make melatonin at night for you to sleep well. Okay, so we all have to get up in the morning and <laughs> walk with the family, go out. Make sure you wear short sleeves. I oh, know it's freezing. See, that's it's only 10 to purpose. 15 minutes a day. 10 to 15 minutes is all you need a day. And um, I far yeah, prefer people cold. going out into the sun rather than take synthetic vitamin D because that's yeah. what you'll be getting. That's true. But people that go out, it's cold at the moment, so yeah. that defeats the purpose. We all go out and we're all rugged up with our jackets <laughs> and scarves and we go for a walk. Well, we're not getting any vitamin D, are we? Oh, you <laughs> Melburnians. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As, as always, it's a fantastic. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Such um, a wealth of knowledge that you are. Um, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you, Vasso. Um, Thanks for having me again. We always love having you on the show. If, if there was anyone to swap brains with, if I was to have a lobotomy, I'd have to have your brain. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. And I would love to have your brain because you know, you've got a wealth of knowledge in the health and in nutrition um, part oh, of the thank you. We work well I together. I don't know much about yeah. that, but um, you, you definitely. Um, I would like to have your brain to understand all that as oh, well. Thank then. you. Yeah. So you're so, always a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for adding so much value to our community. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, and uh, thanks for having me on for the second time. And I hope the third time will be third time lucky. We'll all over uh, this. Be great. That I will say here is the vaccine. We've got it, or here is a drug that we have found that it's. It, it kills the virus 100%. Or it's so gone I'll away. Have, I'll have more, more um, news in that area for you. Fantastic. Take care and good luck. Best of luck with your, um, your research you. and what you're doing. Thank you for what you do for Thank the you. community. Thank you. Take care, darling. Okay, bye. You're listening to 3ABR 87.6 FM, The Wellness Couch, and uh, I'm your host, Katarina Morrison. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.